victory is resisting the devil and staying faithful and true to Jesus to the very end. You know, you, you, can't, you can't say, well, I was faithful. There's no I was faithful. You're just faithful. You're fa if, if, you, if your faithfulness stops, you're not faithful. You were faithful. But faithfulness carries through to the very end, even if the end is the loss of your life. These are those who are standing there who are faithful to the Lamb to the very end. This is how we conquer. This is how we overcome. You stay faithful to Jesus. You stay true to Jesus to the end. And you overcome. And you conquer. No matter what you face, no matter what comes your way, stay faithful and true to Jesus. So John hears this, hears the victorious ones singing, and they're singing what, the, what he says is the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. This is showing us the total harmony of the entire biblical narrative from Genesis to Revelation, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's the story of human history. See, Moses represents the law of God that was given to Moses and, and to the people of Israel. And the Lamb, who is Jesus, represents the salvation plan of Christ, who fulfilled the law of God on our behalf. There is not two parts to what God is doing in humanity. It wasn't like the Old Testament was plan A, and the Old Testament failed because nobody could keep the law, so God had to, had to activate plan B and, and send Jesus to the earth. It is one complete and total story. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8 says about Jesus, the lamb was slaughtered before the world was made. Jesus is the plan. And the entire word of God points to him beginning to end. You can actually find Jesus in every single book of the Bible. Every one of them, he's there. The song of Moses and the lamb represents the totality of God's salvation plan. From the Old Testament law, which pointed to our need of a Savior, that was the purpose of the law, to show us that we can't do it on our own. You cannot be good enough. You can never be perfect. And that's what the law showed us. And it pointed to Jesus, who is our Savior. Notice the, the song. The song, the focus of the song, is not about how the victorious overcame. It's not about them themselves. It's not about the difficulties and the trials and the sufferings that they went through. It is totally focused on God. Those that triumph in and through Jesus fix all of their attention on Him. William Barclay, who's a, a theologian, wrote, Heaven is heaven because in it at last all self and, and self-importance are lost in the presence and the greatness and the glory of God. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. We often get so caught up in the difficulties of life because, uh, like, honestly, life is life is tough. Like, if you haven't if you haven't gone through tough seasons, I'm here to tell you today you're you're going to. And that's not encouraging. And sometimes the tough seasons are so tough, the low seasons are so low that you question whether or not you can make it through. 
We get so caught up in the spiritual warfare that we engage in as, as, we, as we do our, our best to advance the kingdom of God on the earth and to declare the gospel of his kingdom. Listen, it's not easy following Jesus. Contrary to what some people think and believe, following Jesus is not easy. We are told to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, Deny all of our, 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 our natural desires and appetites, those things that just come easy to us. We are, we are to deny those and follow him. And then, that, that would be hard enough to pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow him. But then you've got all of Satan's dominion coming after you. Because he doesn't not just he doesn't just like not like you he he hates you because you were created in the image of God so you've got all of Satan and his and his dominion his darkness coming after you to take you down to steal kill and to destroy you and then on top of that he deceives and he twists and and he 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 deceives people to to oppose us those that have not yet aligned themselves with the Lamb those that are not yet sons and daughters of God and and Satan works in and through them to come against us. Following Jesus is not easy, but let me tell you this. Jesus is worth it all. There is nothing that you could go through that at the end, when you look Jesus in the face, and you'd say, you know, that wasn't worth it. No matter what you go through, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how low it gets, no matter how dark it gets, Jesus is worth it all. The moment will come when you breathe your last here. And you breathe your first there and you look into his eyes filled with love and fire like we sang about today. And it will all the, the suffering and the difficulty and the pain and the tears, it will all melt away. And you will look and you say, Jesus, it will, you are worthy. You are worth it. There, there's so much when we sing, he is worthy. So much that's right there. He's worthy of what? He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our love. He's worthy of our adoration. He's worthy of all, all glory and honor and power and riches and might. He's worthy. But he's also worthy of your life. No one else is worthy of your life, your, 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 your total allegiance, your surrender, your yes. But Jesus and Jesus alone, he is worthy. And it is worth it all, everything that we endure, everything we might suffer through, anything we may lose in comparison with what we gain. We gain Jesus. And this is the focus of the song of Moses and the Lamb. Family, we will all together one day stand there and we will sing this song of Moses and the Lamb. It's all about Jesus and it's all for Jesus. John 15, verses 5 through 8. Do we have those verses up there? No? If not, because I, I, I can't remember what I was going to read and what I wasn't. So if you've got your Bibles, scan through verses 5 through 8. As we, I'm, There's a lot of scriptures, so as I, as I kind of walk through these, these three or four verses. So in, in, in verse 5, John looks to the temple and he sees the temple is opened. And this is where he sees the seven angels coming out of the temple. And then he sees one of the four living creatures that is around the throne of God comes with seven bowls. And he gives one bowl to each of the angels. These are the seven bowls. And these bowls are filled with the wrath of God, which is about to be poured out upon the earth. And then he sees the, the temple is filled with smoke from the radiance and the glory and the power of God in all of its fullness. Now remember back to the, the seventh seal. 
and the seventh trumpet. They both showed how the, the kingdom of God comes to the earth in all of its fullness and all of its completion. And when the seventh bowl, the seventh seal, and the seventh trumpet are completed, we see the, 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 the culmination of human history and the end of time will have come, marking the beginning, if you will, the beginning of all of eternity for those who overcame by the blood of the Lamb. Verse 16, or excuse me, chapter 16 starts, and these are the, the, uh, the, the bowls begin to be, be poured out. And the first five bowls that are poured out, there is a direct link between these first five bowls that are pulled, poured out and the, the wrath that, of God that, that happens and the plagues that Pharaoh and the Egyptians experienced way back in the, in the book of Exodus. These, these mirror those. And the bowls of wrath are poured out upon the people and the kingdom of those who refuse to serve God but choose to follow the beast and the beast's ways. That first bowl contains ugly and painful sores or, or boils. The second and third bowls, as they're poured out, the sea and all of the fresh water are turned to blood and all the, the animals and, the, and the, the fish, they all die. The fourth has fire. The fifth is darkness. And as we read, as we read the accounts of the bowls being poured out, and as we remember back to when the trumpets were sounded and the seals were broken, and we see the, the, the wrath and these terrible things that are, that are happening. It's hard not to feel the, 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 the pain and the torment that these people are experiencing. And, and perhaps we might, we might feel as though, oh God, this is just too much. It's too much. How could you possibly pour all of this out upon people? And we begin to, we, we, we can begin to feel and our heart begins to break. But then in verses 5 and 7, we hear from the third angel, and we hear from a voice that says, a voice from the altar of God. And this gives us, this is important. This gives us a better perspective of what's taking place here than just being like, man, this is too much for people to endure. The angel cries out, righteous and just are you who are and who were. O holy one, because you judged these things, for they have poured out the blood of the saints of God's people and the prophets, and you in turn have given them blood to drink. They deserve your judgment. And I heard another from the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, the Omnipotent, the Ruler of all, your judgments are true and fair and righteous. We have to understand that everything God does is righteous and just. There is no partiality. There is no unfairness. There is no injustice in Him. Listen, if anyone wasn't treated fairly, it was Jesus. Jesus who lived and breathed and walked the earth, fully man, fully God, did nothing wrong. He never sinned. He never, not in his mind, not in his heart, not in his motives, not in his intentions. He never once did anything wrong. But yet the Bible says that, that he became sin for us. He took on all of sin, not just, all, not, not just the sin of all humanity of those who would eventually choose him. Jesus took on the sin of all humanity of all time, even of those who would eventually reject him and not serve him and not turn to him, but hate him and revile him. He took on their sin too. This is not fair. But he willingly and lovingly gave his life for us. He did not deserve it. 
but he did it. It was not fair for him, but it's merciful and loving for us. We cannot love more than God. We cannot have more mercy than God. We cannot demand more justice than God does. Everything he does is right, true, and just. And if we're not seeing it that way, if we're looking at a situation where we're seeing, God, what, you, what you're doing here, that's not right, that is not just, that's not fair, then we have a misperception about what's actually taking place. Because he is righteous. He is, excuse me, he is righteousness. He is not just righteous. He is just, not simply doing acts of justice. He doesn't just love. He is love. The angel and the voice from the altar are declaring God's righteous, just judgment on all evil. Notice after what John sees in the fourth and the fifth bowl. He says, though they endured the fierce heat Yet the people continued to blaspheme God. They cursed the name of God who had authority over the plagues and they refused to repent and give him glory, verse 9. And then in 10 and 11, it says, the people were in agony and gnawed their tongues and cursed the God of heaven because of their painful sores, refusing to repent of their deeds. They not only refused to repent, but now we've seen kind of this escalation because we've noticed the same theme you know, when the in the uh, in the seals and the and the trumpets, how how when the wrath of God is is poured out, people's hearts aren't softened; they're actually hardened. But now there's this escalation because not only are their hearts hardened and they're not repenting, but now they're actually blaspheming God and they're they're cursing Him. Their hearts are hardened even further. We're reminded that it is not the wrath of God that leads people to repentance, but it is His kindness. See, John is emphasizing that the way people are one to Christ is by the mercy and the love of God through Jesus, through the slain lamb. And by our example of living our lives with that same sacrificial love towards people. And then the sixth bowl is poured out. In verse 12, it says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the, the, the Euphrates, and its water dried up so that the way would be prepared for the coming of the kings from the east. And I saw three loathsome spirits like frogs leaping from the mouth of the dragon and from the mouth of the beast and from the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of demons performing miraculous signs. And they go out to the kings of the entire inhabited earth to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. The, the river, this, this massive mighty river Euphrates is dried up with the pouring out of this sixth bowl. The sixth bowl doesn't have wrath, but it's actually a bowl of preparation. It's preparation for the gathering of people and nations that are aligned with the beast and with the dragon as they travel to Armageddon to battle against God and God's people. This is the preparation for the end. This is not the end. We're not reading the end. But what we're reading is we're reading the preparation for the end. This made a way for the end, but it is not the end. Because God is about to put a period on the story of human history. He's about to write the last chapter and close the book of human history. And the sixth bowl is preparing for that. This is the, the, bar, the, the, uh, the, the battle of Armageddon. 
And this is where Satan and all those who are aligned with him, where they fight against God in one last final great battle. And this, this place, Armageddon, is believed to be a plain located in northern Israel. And, and on this plain, there's been some great historic battles in the history of Israel have been fought there. If you want to make a note, you can go back and read it. But Judges chapter 5 and verse 9 records a battle that was fought in this plain. And 2 Kings 23, 29 records another great battle. And one of these battles, the battle in Judges was, was great and it was victorious. And the other one was, was, was a great defeat for Israel. But there is no question how this one last great battle on this plain will end. So there's, there's, two, there's two lines of thought on this battle. One, this is, this is an actual war that we see in the natural realm, that there will be a great battle in this place on the earth. Or two, this is a battle in the spirit realm, like, like the, the second heaven, like what Renee was talking about last week, that that's where this battle is fought. Either way, whether it's a natural battle or, or, a, or, 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 or a, spirit, a battle in the spirit, that this is, what John is communicating to us is not that there will be a battle, that it's going to take place, but rather that this is God's day. See, when we read about this battle of Armageddon, we, we can e so easily get caught up with the drawing together of all the people, of all the nations, of all the, the kings, and all the, the demonic spirits and, and principalities gathering together opposing God. This great demonic dark army opposing God. And we can get caught up in that as if they are the ones who have orchestrated this final battle. We must remember that it was an angel from the temple that poured out the sixth bowl to prepare for this battle. This is a God-ordained moment. And in verse 14, it's called the great day of God the Almighty. Satan does not have a great day. He has a terrible end. And it is coming by the sovereignty of God on the great day of God the Almighty. As we read through the, the, these things, we have to remember back to Revelation chapter 5. When the one sitting on the throne was holding the scroll and no one was found worthy to take the scroll except the Lamb, the slain Lamb of God. And what that pointed to was the authority of Jesus to guide human history to its culmination and to its completion. Jesus and Jesus alone is guiding human history, not the enemy. This is a God-ordained end to Satan. And so in the midst of this scene that John is describing in verse 15, we have the voice of Jesus breaks in into the midst of this. This is incredible. Jesus interrupts him and says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and he and who keeps his clothes, that is, stays spiritually ready for the Lord's return, so that he will not be naked, spiritually unprepared, and men will not see his shame. Jesus, in this moment, is not encouraging us to get ready, but he is encouraging us to stay ready. There's a big difference. Because we will not know and we cannot know when he will return. We will not know when he, gets, when he comes, but we can be ready. This is a call to remain connected in intimacy with him. To not be foolish and get caught up in the draw of the world and its appetites and its desires in that lure of, tempta of, of temptation and passions. 
We keep the main thing, the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. And it's your continual connected relationship to him through devotion, through faithfulness, through prayer, through worship, and through obedience. That's the main thing. This is very similar to the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 25 of the, uh, of the ten, uh, 10 virgins. These 10 virgins were, were waiting for the bridegroom to come. And five of them, it says, were wise. And they bought extra oil for their lamps as their lamps were burning. And then five did not prepare and they did not buy extra oil. And the bridegroom was delayed. And there was a long wait and it was late into the night. And all of these 10 virgins had all fallen asleep. Not just the, the, the foolish, but the wise and the foolish are all asleep. And then they hear the cry of the bridegroom. The bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. And five, the five wise ones who had extra oil, they wake up and they trim their lamps and they add the oil and they're standing there and they're ready with their lamps lit. And the five foolish ones, they, they try to get the, share some of your oil with us. And the, the, the wise ones, are, they say, we can't, we, we won't have enough for all of us. You've got to go get your own. And so the five foolish ones run off in the middle of the night to try and buy oil. And while they're gone, the bridegroom comes and he takes the five wise with them. I want to encourage you to go back, go to our website, go back and listen to a, a message that Renee preached on that passage, Matthew chapter 25. It was back on March the 19th of this year. And it was in our series, This Is Not a Game. And it was called Oil for the Midnight Hour. And I want to encourage you, take some time this week and go back to that, uh, that, that sermon and listen to that. Because I believe that what Renee shared that day wasn't just this, a vital message for our church, but that was a, a, a prophetic message that the Lord is speaking to the church global. And I've heard rings of it in many different places from many different voices with that same theme ringing out. So it's March the 19th, oil for the midnight hour. All right. Uh, chapter 16, verses 17 to 21. The seventh bowl is poured out and a loud voice from the throne room calls out, it is done. It is done. Sounds a lot like Jesus' words from the cross. It is finished. See, when Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it is finished, he was talking about the, 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 the battle against sin, death, hell, and the grave. It was finished. But now a voice from heaven calls out, it is done. This is the end. The work is is done. The kingdom of God has come in all of its fullness and all of its glory. Just as Jesus declared that finished work of the cross finished, the Father declares that the reign of Satan and all of evil and the dragon and the beast and darkness, that reign is done. Evil will not last forever. It has an end. The total wrath of God has been poured out and the kingdom of God has now come in all of its fullness. It's a similar scene to what we've seen with the trumpets and the seals and we see lightning. We, see, uh, we hear rumblings and thunder, great hailstones and there's an incredible earthquake. An earthquake that is so, so great, so violent. Uh, it, John writes that nothing has ever seen, been seen like this on the earth before. And he says the great city, he calls it the great city. I think it's the great city of Babylon. It says it's split apart and the nations of the earth, they fall. 
the great city symbolizes the kind of the culmination of, of humanity and all of humanity's works outside and apart from God. All of that's accomplishments. And we see that it's actually broken up into three pieces. It's split apart into three pieces, which points to a total downfall and destruction and that it will never be rebuilt again. Going forward into all of eternity, all that we will do and accomplish, which we'll talk about in the coming weeks as we finish out the book of Revelation, it's all done in accompaniment with the Lord. It's not done outside of Him. The humanity's accomplishments outside of God are brought down. And then this chapter closes with this full glory of God and His kingdom on display and the total defeat of the dragon, the beast, and evil. And then again, we see people cursing God and refusing to turn to Him. This, it's interesting, this, this cursing, the opposition of the people towards God Almighty, that has no effect on preventing the end. It has no effect on stopping God's kingdom from coming to earth. It's coming. The end is coming. But the seventh bowl is, is showing us the justice of God being poured out on the earth and how evil will not stand forever, that the great day of God will come and with it justice for every wrong that's ever been done. For every time you have ever faced injustice and you have been wronged and wounded and hurt, justice is coming. And so now John has fully unpacked the message of the Lamb's unsealed scroll. We've seen judgments and we've seen wrath, the wrath of God towards evil and the dark kingdom of the dragon and the beast. And all of these things only caused further hardening of hearts and those marked in allegiance to them. And we've seen that nothing can prevent God's justice and God's kingdom from coming, that Satan's reign and evil will come to an end on the earth. So there's two things that I want, I want you to walk away with today. Josiah, can I get you to come and play the keys? Please. Two things that I want you to walk away with today. Number one, we are victorious but the rewards belong to Jesus. See, when we finally see Jesus, we will worship with words to and about him. This is worship. This is, this is what worship is. It's not about us. It's not about my feelings about Jesus or about God. It's about Jesus. Listen, and it's not that there's no place for those it's not that there's no time for that because when you read through the book of Psalms, you see David talking about his feelings and what he's going through. And those are, those are worship songs. But our worship cannot continually be about us. It can't be me-themed all the time. It must always come back to and be about Jesus. And really, ultimately, we don't sing songs like at him. Have you ever been talked at where someone's not really talking to you, but they're talking at you. We're not singing songs at Jesus. We're singing songs to his face. With, there, there's, with, with that sense of relationship, of intimacy. We are victorious, but all the rewards belong to Jesus. The second thing I want you to walk away with today, live ready. Live ready. So you don't have to get ready because you're not going to have time to get ready when, they, when it comes. You have to be ready. And being ready is your relationship with Jesus because there is nothing more important than your relationship with Jesus. Nothing is more important.
So if your relationship with Jesus is suffering and you're being pulled away from him by desires and temptations and appetites of this world, you need to get back to Jesus. Get back to fostering that relationship with him so you can live ready. Because as long as this life feels like it is. Talking with Melissa this week, she said these words to me. Where did the time go? As long as this life is, I have not talked to one elderly person in their 70s, in their 80s, who looked at me and said, wow, at the end they're like every one of them they all say the same thing where did the time go it's gone in the moment it seems like it's going to last forever and you've got time another day and you keep pushing it down the road i'll focus on jesus another day another time there's no time you have to live ready live in continual intimate relationship with jesus because what we live now is just a vapor. It's, 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 it's a puff of smoke. It's here and it's gone. So I want to give opportunity as I close today. If there's anyone here and you're like, yeah, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I never have. Or maybe you're here and you're like, I've neglected it and I've just followed after my own desires. I recognize this call recognize the voice of Jesus calling me back, calling me into relationship with him. And if you'd like to say yes to Jesus in that relationship with him, just lift your hand. I want to have an opportunity to pray with you. We'll wait just a moment. with 
how we continually say that we are ascending church, I want to let our church family know that Stephen and Lou's on the 17th, which is Thursday. So from the 17th to the 19th, they're going on a medical missions trip with uh, an organization called Mercy. And they are um, jumping on a bus and driving down to Ensenada. And over the three days, them and their team will perform at least 200 eye surgeries on, on children, Mexican children, that have no, no means to these types of medical care. And so they're, they're taking their, their time, their talent, their treasure, and they're going down to serve. If you weren't aware, Stephen, this is what Stephen does. He's in the, he does, like, some, I asked him one day, he was like from like three to eight surgeries a day when he works, he participates in. And Lewis is going down to translate, to help screen and get people ready. And so if you're near them, can you just lean over and lay hands on them? We want to send them out and remember them uh, this week, the 17th to the 19th, Thursday through Saturday. Father, I thank you for their hearts to go and to love and to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to those that are lacking, those children and parents in extreme poverty. God, and they are giving their, their time and their talent, their skill to go and love on them. And I pray that through their hands, through their eyes, that people would see and feel the love of Jesus all over them and that they would have the opportunity to lead some of these precious children and mothers and fathers into relationship with Jesus. So I bless them. I speak your protection over them, that your favor would surround them like a shield and they would have no, um, there would be no uh, attacks, no physical issues to, to deal with in the, in the trip, God. In Jesus' name.